Welcome to Believe in Baltimore, a podcast conversation with community leaders and change makers in Baltimore, Maryland, hosted by Govins Presbyterian Church. We're your hosts, Reverend Tom Harris, senior pastor at Govins Presbyterian Church. And Reverend Billy Klotz, associate pastor here at Govins. And we believe in Baltimore. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. I am so excited about our guest. Brenda Sanders is a vegan food justice activist and entrepreneur who works to make plant-based foods more accessible to everyone. She co-founded Thrive Baltimore, a community resource center that offers classes, workshops, and other programming that assist people in making healthier, more sustainable choices. She's also executive director of the Afro-Vegan Society, a nonprofit organization that provides online support and resources to inspire people in transitioning to vegan living. And she is the co-owner of The Greener Kitchen, a vegan deli that produces plant-based foods that are both affordable and accessible. And she's the co-creator of the Vegan Soul Fest, an annual festival that celebrates culture and all aspects of vegan living. And she has found time and all that to um, get to know me and to tell me a little bit more about veganism and has been a big part of my own vegan journey and one of the people who sort of persuaded me for of all the positive benefits of being vegan uh, and uh, brought me to that place. And so I am especially personally grateful to you, Brenda. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really happy to be here. And I'm happy to hear that um, I had such a positive influence on your decision to go vegan. That makes me feel really good. Yeah, well, you that, you, you are uh, amazing at the work that you do. You're a very persuasive person. Um, so, I mean, I just listed off all of the, all of the things that you do. Um, I don't know how you find time to do all that. You're such a, uh, a an active activist. Um, tell us a little bit of your own words about yourself and what motivates you to do all this work. Yeah, so um, I was born and raised in the housing projects of Baltimore City. And, um, you know, we were food insecure for most of my, all of my childhood and, and even into my teenage years. And so that is a very particular experience to have as a child, um, not having enough food to eat and um, experiencing hunger. And so uh, I didn't know that that had had such a huge impact on me until um, I was an adult and actually started getting into um, doing food justice work. Um, and the thing that sort of prompted that to happen, I, I've been vegan for 24 years now. And, um, and it was just a personal decision that I made um, decades ago that I just didn't want to participate uh, in animal agriculture. I didn't want to um, just consume animals anymore. And so that was a choice that I made, but I wasn't um, very active about it. And then about, um, I would say 12 years ago, um, I had heard about a study that was done by Johns Hopkins 
that compare two neighborhoods in Baltimore. One is an affluent white community and another one is a low income black community. And they were looking to see what the difference in health outcomes was. And what they found surprised even them. They found that um, there was a 20 year difference in life expectancy between these two communities. And they, they also found that the main contributing factor to that was diet. And so I had already been eating exclusively plants, you know, for quite some time. And, um, and so I just, when I, when I heard about this study, I was floored. Um, not because I was surprised because I grew up in that sort of environment um, and in an environment um, that's now being called either a food desert or um, food apartheid is another term. Um, but I grew up in that. And so there wasn't access to fresh fruits and vegetables and that kind of thing. So that didn't surprise me so much as um, the fact that there was this huge gap in just how long people were living. Um, and I just thought I have to do something about this. I have this wealth of knowledge and information about the benefits of plant-based eating. I have to spread that around. And, um, and I actually started spreading it around <laughs> at Govins. <laughs> so um, at, uh, I started using um, your space. Uh, and you were so generous to, to allow me to do that because I'm just like this person who's like, I want to change the world. And so I'm going to do these workshops and cooking demos. And you were so kind to allow me to do that and to bring people out and, and teach them about the benefits of eating plant foods. And, and it sort of all started from there. Wow. So how long have you been how long would you say you've been um, in the the activist role? So uh, how, when did that kind of start? How many years ago? I didn't ago? know that I was an activist for a long time. Yeah. It wasn't until somebody told me that yeah. that was what I was, <laughs> that I just uh, sort of accepted it and started to, to take on that. Um, but it was probably in 2011 um, okay. that I started just kind of knocking on doors and whoever mm -hmm. would take me, I would I would do these uh, cooking demos um, mm -hmm. at community centers, at churches, at you know health fairs, at people's houses. I didn't care. I just wanted to get this information out, and you know, okay. and then Govins was one of the doors that oh, I wow. knocked on. So. See, I didn't. I never made that connection before because I've been here since two thousand six, and so I didn't realize that um, when we met, that was kind of the beginning of something new for you too. It was. Oh, it that's so cool. It was. Yes. Hmm. Met a lot of great people at Goldman's. So, and around the, the motivation question, so I've, I heard health uh, and I heard animals. Uh, you know, people always ask about that. You know, are you vegan for the animals, vegan for the planet, or vegan for your health? How do you answer that question? Well, it has evolved. Um, mm -hmm. So, in the very beginning, I was vegan for very like personal reasons. Mm -hmm. um, I had started kind of getting into. Um, a sort of a spirituality of sorts um, that was sort of um, earth-centered and like you know being one with all things kind of <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and and that um, evolved into um, an awareness of the food system itself because as I was doing these talks and and educating people, I was also educating myself. And once I realized like how <laughs> um, how brutal, honestly, the mm -hmm. food system is towards the animals that, you know, that the whole uh, system is, is sort of built on. 
um, I was very surprised. I, you know, this stuff is hidden, right? Um, and so you got to be, you know, like in certain circles to even think to to want to know what goes on in the food system. I wasn't raised on a farm. I was raised about as far from farms as you can possibly imagine. And so I didn't have any idea as to what even goes on on a family farm, much less in a factory farm. And just the horrors that are um, happening with these living beings, with these you know sentient living beings, and um, and it just disturbed me. And so it sort of shifted from um, a personal journey into like, well, there aren't very many people advocating for animals, and I have this platform, and I can do it. I don't know how that's going to go over, <laughs> and I didn't know, and and now I know. It doesn't always go over well, um, but I continue to do it because I do stand in a place of privilege to not be someone who doesn't have a voice um, in, and, and who doesn't have a choice in what is going to happen with my body. Um, and so because I can speak up about these things and I can educate these folks about these things, you know, there's always the possibility that folks will make a different choice and not everybody will. Some people mm -hmm. will hear about, you know, all the pain and suffering of animals and will be like, well, they're not people. <laughs> and, and some do, mm -hmm. you know, um, but some people hear it and they say, wow, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And um, and they say, well, I don't necessarily want to participate in this either. What can I do? And um, and that's when I tell them what they can do. That's awesome. Let me ask you one more question and we'll uh, come back, come back and sort of to Baltimore in particular. Um, a lot of times vegans are perceived as being uh, white. It's a white thing. Mm -hmm. What are the unique um, challenges and opportunities that you find um, as a black vegan? Well, an awful lot of vegans are white. So <laughs> let's just be real about that. Um, it, it is quite a privilege. And, and as I learn more about the global food system and, and what people are, are going through in less developed countries, uh, in poorer countries, I realize just how much more privileged I am to be able to eat plant-based foods and have access to grocery stores. And, you know, and they may not be in my community, <laughs> but I do have access to them. They do exist. Um, and so there's, there are levels to privilege, right? Um, and I, and so, you know, so an awful lot of white people do have um, that option, um, whereas a lot of folks of color, especially low-income folks of color, may not have that option, um, you know, within their communities or within their price range or, or whatever. Um, and so the the main challenge for me, and, and I'm up for the challenge, I mean, it, it's the reason why I'm I chose to do work the way that I do it, is just in improving and increasing um, access to these kinds of foods. And I chose like the hardest, you know, uh, the most challenging situations, the most challenging communities, because A, that's where I'm from, and B, um, those are the folks who need access to uh, plant-based foods the most. I will say that throughout history, people of color, Black folks, and other POC have always um, eaten plant-based. It's just that, you know, the label vegan wasn't necessarily on it. Um, the, the label vegan is actually pretty new. It was coined in the 1940s. 
Um, and it was sort of an offshoot of vegetarian because um, vegetarian had been sort of inundated with um, dairy and eggs. Vegetarian didn't always mean dairy and eggs. Um, there was a point at which vegetarian meant plant eater. Um, but then, you know, things change, words change, concepts change. And, um, and some folks wanted to not consume any animal products. Some folks over in, in um, Britain and England wanted to have a, a term that just meant, you know, no animal products whatsoever. Um, and so that coin was, that term was coined. And so, so yeah, people haven't even been using it for that long, but the concept of, you know, being one with the other animals on the planet or eating, you know, from the earth and things like that existed, you know, in lots of cultures for a very long time. So um, it is a challenge though, uh, because I'm going into black communities where folks have uh, very specific issues and especially around food. And I'm saying, hey, there's another way to engage with food and to engage with the food system. And then it becomes a challenge of making that possible for people. Yeah, that, that, that's wonderful. And, and to me, that kind of conviction to do the hard work uh, says how much you care about and also believe in the community itself. Um, and so because of the title of our podcast, we always ask why people believe in Baltimore. I mean, obviously you're, you're from here, but is there, are there other inspirations or things that really keep you grounded and committed to this place? Yeah, you know, I tried to leave Baltimore twice. Um, like, like a lot of young folks, I was just like, I got to get out of here. I got to get away from here. And Baltimore keeps drawing me back. Um, initially, it was family drawing me back, you know, people with, with illnesses. My mom um, developed a heart condition and, you know, other family members uh, who sort of reached out to me after, quite frankly, years of telling me that I was in some kind of cult <laughs> with, with this whole vegan thing. But, you know, seeing how sort of healthy I was and, and hearing about um, plant-based eating from doctors and on the news, they finally, you know, came back and were like, you know, we want to know more. So that was one reason to come back. And then, um, you know, once I started to do this work, it was like, okay, this is where I belong because Baltimore, it has such a rich history. Um, some of it terrible, you know, it is a port city. So, you know, we know throughout our history, what ports were used for, you know, um, human trafficking and, and other things. Um, and so there's a lot of terrible history here. Um, but there's also like a, a, a huge history of just people supporting each other and, and building together um, and, and surviving. And Baltimore is definitely a place where, you know, it's full of survivors. Um, and so I just want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of uplifting um, Baltimore. I want to be a part of shifting the balance. I want to be a part of bringing equity um, and justice uh, to not only just the food system, but, you know, to the social structure in general. And so, and, and this is home and it, and it always will be. So that's my motivation. Amen. May we all be so committed to the well-being of the places uh, that, that claimed us, right, and named us. Well, here at Govins, we ground our work in stories. Uh, that's why we're doing this podcast. We want to listen to the stories of our neighbors. We want to share our own 
And we want to ask our neighbors, even though they come from all sorts of religious traditions and, and no religious traditions, to help us reflect on the stories that we keep claiming, even though we've tried to leave them two or three or four times often. Uh, and so in each episode, we take a moment uh, with our guests uh, to read a Bible story. Um, and then we, we have a dialogue about what's interesting, what's not so interesting, um, and about what it might mean for change makers and, and transforming um, our neighborhood. And Pastor Tom has our story for us today from the book of Isaiah. That's right. Uh, Isaiah is a prophet from the Old Testament and is speaking this prophecy. Um, Israel has had a sort of a golden age when they've went thriving and expanding. And now they've recently gone through a time where they've contracted and their enemies have kind of surrounded them on all sides. The great Davidic dynasty of King David has, has been threatened. And when you hear at the beginning of this text about Jesse, Jesse is David's father. So David's dynasty has, is nothing but a stump. And so here's, here's what we have from Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. Then a shoot will sprout from the stump of Jesse. From Jesse's roots, a branch will blossom. The Spirit of God will rest on you, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and reverence for the Lord. You will delight in obeying God, and you won't judge by appearances or make decisions by hearsay. You will treat poor people with fairness, and will uphold the rights of the lands downtrodden. With a single word, you will strike down tyrants. With your decrees, you will execute evil people. Justice will be the belt around this your waist. Faithfulness will gird you up. Then the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion cub will graze together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like the ox. The baby will play next to the den of the cobra, and the toddler will dance on the viper's nest. There will be no harm, no destruction anywhere in my holy mountain. For as the water fills the sea, so the land will be filled with the knowledge of God. On that day, the root of Jesse will serve as a symbol to the peoples of the world. Nations will flock to you, and your home will be a place of honor. So, Brenda, what's your initial response to that passage? Does anything stand out to you or surprise you or challenge you? Oh, it probably wouldn't uh, surprise you to know that that's one of my favorite passages <laughs> from the Bible. <laughs> so what the first thing that kind of stands out to me, um, because I'm, you know, I, honestly, I've been an activist since I was about five years old. Um, looking back, I was like, fighting for justice in kindergarten. So, I mean, uh, it, the, the part about um, treating poor people with fairness and, um, you know, striking down tyrants and, you know, that just really, it speaks to me on like a really deep, almost like DNA level, <laughs> on a genetic level. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just, I love the idea that we're talking about protecting the most marginalized. I mean, that's what I'm all about. And that's what my work is all about, um, righting wrongs and bringing justice. And then, of course, going into just the, the, the harmony and peace that is going to come about with, you know, the, the carnivore laying down with the, you know, the, the herbivore or the, the um, the predator laying down with the prey and, you know, and everybody feeling safe. That has always just been sort of a, a dream 
for me. Um, I just love the sound of it. I love the idea of it. I accept nature <laughs> as it is, and I, I don't fight or push back against that, but I do feel like there is such a violent um, aspect to nature. And, um, and I've never felt terribly comfortable with that. And there's such also a, a almost seems to be a violent nature to humanity that is like reflected back. Um, and I certainly am not comfortable with that. Um, and so I just love the idea of that reality shifting and of like harmony and peace reigning on the planet. I, if, the, if I could do anything to help facilitate that, <laughs> sign me up and count me in because I'm ready. Yeah, that's I, I love those both those points you brought up are, are are what this passage is all about. So what, let's start with the second part that you said though. This predator prey thing, nature is nature, right? And is this is this a a literal hope or is this pointing us towards or is this metaphor that? The, maybe the prey, the humans that act as predators need to start thinking differently about other humans who, who, for whom they treat as prey. I mean, I, I hear both in what you're saying. I hear it's like, oh, I would love for the whole world to be like this. But you also think it's uh, a critique on, on humanity? Oh, absolutely. Humans just have such a, a capability to function in harmony with everything around us in a way that, um, you know, that instinct in animals doesn't necessarily give them the, the ability to do. We can choose and, and many of us do choose and many more of us don't, unfortunately, but we can choose to live in a way that is harmonious with the other beings on the planet, with the ecosystems, with, you know, each other. Um, and I, I just would love to see a world in which we do make that choice. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't say how to get there. I wish I could just come up with a step-by-step -step, like, well, first we have to, <laughs> you know, execute these tyrants. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's what it is, but mm -hmm. I am so in. I'm in. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you think about that language about uh, striking down the tyrants and executing the evil people? Is, uh, is, is that the literal language of the oppressed? And is that the, is that the way does, I mean, I think it is, tyranny has to end, but how does it, how does it end? How do we get those tyrants torn down from their thrones? That's a great question because tyrants have been torn down from their thrones before and then other tyrants rise up. So, you know, it is, uh, tearing them down violently, the answer is mm -hmm. there's some other answer. I would like to think that there is another answer. I, honestly, I would love to think that just if enough people uh, just become enlightened, then we'll have like a hundredth monkey situation <laughs> where it just it'll just spread through the rest of us and we'll just suddenly get it. Um, I don't know if it'll work that way, but um, but I would like to think that it, it doesn't have to just happen through violent uprising and rebellion every single time over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people do think that that's the only way. Um, if it is, then like, when is that gonna take? You know, because <laughs> I feel like that it's happened before and it didn't take. Right. So, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I prefer peace. Um, but I also am open to violence, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of straddling the fence there. 
Yeah. If if that's what's necessary, then I'm I'm open to it. But I would obviously prefer enlightenment. Well, and that's where the, that last verse um, kind of ends up in that place. Um, you know, it, it imagines that this community that will where predator and prey will live together in peace and harmony will be a light to to all the world and will be a light to the nations. And so it's possible that in this passage, that's that's what it's asking us to do is work work on your community you know get your community and um be an example for others uh as much as tearing down the tyrants although yeah i i I don't know if there's an easy answer to that sometimes those tyrants are pretty stubborn i think here it's again lifting up that that salvation that the good news that the hope for humanity um throughout the bible i think we often lift up the image of sacrifice and we think about yeah that's how it works but so often I think the Bible is pointing us toward um, example as how salvation comes. And, and that's exactly what I read here is that, um, you know, it's not through a sacrifice that things are made right and we're reconciled. It, it's through an example. And we've, we've been talking about this last couple of weeks in sermons at, uh, at Govins in September that, um, that God's people are blessed to bless others. And that's exactly what I read here is that um, whatever we've been given is, is to go be a blessing to all the world. And that serves as a symbol so that others might, um, might follow that. And I think that's exactly what I hear in Brenda's story as well, um, that we can change the world, uh, not through violence, but through our own example and, and sharing that story. I don't know, Pastor Tom, it sounds like you might be a little bit more open to violence. <laughs> Where do you stand on this? <laughs> I was just talking about Malcolm X in my sermon on Sunday, and um, by any means necessary. Uh, you know, the thing is, as you know, Brenda, and as Billy knows too, um, white people and people of power and privilege have been perpetrating violence upon black people for a very, very, very long time, and upon people of color. And to just now for the white people to say, we can change it without violence, I mean, I think that's a, a, a big leap. Um, I, I do believe that Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. were on to something that doing violence hurts the person who does the violence as much as it hurts the victim. But I don't, th- I don't think it's just black and white. I think that's, you know, that, that it, I think it's gotta be on the table because we're human. And maybe if we're, if it's on the, if it's on the table for everybody, maybe we the people with privilege can step back a little bit and say, oh, is this really the path that we want to go down? Well, and one of the things that stood out to me, I hope I'm remembering this correctly, um, this summer in one of my classes for my doctorate ministry, we read um, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's Stride Toward Freedom. And one of the things that really struck out as he talked about violence and nonviolence was that he was able to, to negotiate with white people that didn't want to negotiate with him by being nonviolent because there was a threat of violence. And and I, I think I remember at the, at the end, he really says, you know, it was because there was threat of violence from other activists that made him the person they wanted to negotiate with. And I was really fascinated by that. That was not something that I think gets lifted up in the mainstream conversation today. Yeah, I think that um, there's an example of that right here in Baltimore, not too long ago. Um, some people call it the riots, but I call it the uprising um, mm. after Freddie Gray was was murdered. And, um, you know, it, it's like when when society remembers you know, is made to remember that violence is always an option, then you can go to the negotiation table with that and say, look, if something doesn't change, then something's going to get burned down. And I think that that's something that, you know, the Black community specifically has, has always sort of brought to the table, like, look, when we don't have any other choice, then something's going to burn. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of things, you know, have come out of that. You know, a lot Mm -hmm. of changes have come out of that. A lot of policies have come out of that space. And so I would not discount that as an option. I think it's important. I I usually try to, when I read a Bible verse in a more public setting, I want to make sure that, you know, there's little words that can catch people and, and upset people. One of these is um, the phrase execute evil people, because a lot of times who is evil and who is not. And the evil people can often be defined by the privileged. Um, and that is actually not what this text means. And I just just a little mini sermon here um, in, in the Hebrew poetry. There's always parallelism and they the parallels are not like a, a rhyme of words, but a rhyme of ideas. And so here it says will strike down tyrants and you will execute evil people. And so evil people are being equated with the tyrants. So evil people are not gays and lesbians or people who are promiscuous or all the things that, you know, a lot of conservative religious folks will say. Um, The Bible is usually very specific when it's talking about those who do evil are those who are harming a large group of, of people who have less power. So that's my sermon. (laughs) and that's a good that's an important distinction to make um especially in this day and time where the systems themselves are evil Mm -hmm. and so even if every privileged person stepped down and said here take all my privilege i don't want it anymore the systems are still in place the housing system is still in place the educational Mm -hmm. system is still in place the you know medical system all these these systems that are in place that are built on the disadvantaging of certain people and you know the privileging of others uh they function independently at this point (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so honestly in my work i don't um when i go after anybody i go after the systems themselves Mm -hmm. i don't go after the slaughterhouse workers i don't go after the farmers i don't go after you know people who aren't vegan you know, I don't go after vegetarians. I don't, I go after the systems that, that are, that are keeping this oppression in place. What's the application to what's going on in Baltimore in particular? Yeah. So I will always bring it back to the food system. That's Mm -hmm. my space of expertise. And and I think that the, the Western food system, um, especially in the U S in major cities is racist. It's just racist, plain and simple. The way that, you know, food is distributed, the way that um, space is taken up um, in low-income Black and brown communities is, is, it's no mistake. You know, it's it's not coincidence. Um, Folks are being specifically targeted with the worst possible foods, with the most unhealthy foods, and, um, and, and better options are not being given. And so in order for a low-income black or brown person to really reach for something better for themselves, reach for better food, they have to go out of their way to do it. They have to actually like put in work, they have to travel, they have to spend money that they don't have um, in order to, to just have like basic nutrition. And so something has to be done about that. We have to take back control of the food system. And it starts with, activists right opening these uh pathways and then bringing those pathways into communities and then the people in the communities feeling empowered to take back control 
to start community gardens, to, you know, start growing something on their balcony or on their windowsill or, you know, on, on the sidewalk outside their window, wherever it is that, that they can start to grow food, start to reconnect with the earth, start to reconnect with food itself. Um, doing communal things like um, com like community farmers markets, uh, community gardens, where everybody is sort of working together to accomplish these goals, and then you know bringing the education in as well, the cooking demos and the events and the festivals and all these things that just get people excited and um, and wanting to engage, um, engage through the schools, engage through the community centers, engage through the churches, you know these pillars in the communities that that hold the communities up. Uh, we need to be spreading this information about um, th this, this health information that can start to pull communities out of these abysmal health outcomes, because mm -hmm. it's, you know, it, it's based off of, it, it's, it's really like because of the system itself that people have been eating this way generation after generation, but it can be reversed. You know, but it starts with education and it starts with activism and it has to be happening all over, which is my goal. My goal is to make sure that everything that I do is reproducible, that it can be done in Detroit and Oakland and Atlanta and, you know, all over. Um, and and just, you know, and it goes out even from the food system into, you know, we need prison reform. We need, you know, um, oversight over police behavior. We need um you know, like housing reform and, and better health care. We need, we need to change systems themselves and we need to, to bring equity into these institutions that are currently, you know, unjust. And so that's like in, here in Baltimore, there's plenty of work to do, um, lots that needs to be uh, fixed and, um, and folks have to step up and, and be ready to do this work. Amen, Brenda. Amen. I think just like you said, um, nothing is the way it is by accident and in the same way nothing changes by accident <laughs> it's by people yeah. getting committed and staying committed um and i'm wondering if uh, i'm sure all of our listeners now are are right there and want to get committed and involved with the work that you're doing how can they best support and come alongside you as you lead us toward uh, toward more just ways of living oh my gosh so many ways because i'm just all over so um, I, one of the things that we didn't mention is that I just launched a podcast. It may not be quite as amazing as this one, but I think that, you know, it's, it's pretty good. I do some pretty good work. It's called Food and Justice. Um, and, uh, and it's just me speaking with people really all over the country um, about their work um, in trying to improve the food system. Um, so everybody from farmers to physicians to, you know, food makers and artisans to just all kinds of folks. Um, and so uh, if people want to know more about what I have going on, there's a few different places to find it. Um, there's brendasanders.info, which um, may not be as updated because um, things are ever changing, but it's more of like an overview of my work. Um, there's also Afro-Vegan Society, which is a very specific kind of work. Um, we are working to make this information and uh, resources available to folks that just would normally never be exposed to it. 
So uh, specifically folks in um, marginalized black and brown communities. Um, but there's such a need for just like volunteers and, and people who can help out with everything from like the website to making calls to, you know, just, just I don't know, uh, helping out with our emails. I don't, just, there's all kinds of um, ways that people can, can help assist through that. There's also the Greener Kitchen, um, which is, <laughs> yeah, uh, Pastor Tom is a fan. Um, started out uh, kind of under duress because we have been making this delicious plant-based food and just kind of slinging it out at people at festivals or, you know, like health fairs and stuff like that. And people loved it. I mean, everything from like, um, you know, uh, meat substitutes to cheese substitutes, mayos and spreads and, and all these things that we were just kind of trying to make as an alternative to the animal products and make sure that they were affordable for folks um, who didn't, you know, who couldn't afford to like go and shop at Whole Foods or wherever. Um, and then there was such a demand for it that people started saying like, look, you need to have somewhere where I can come and get this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we, uh, you know, my team and I, we resisted it for as long as we could. And then finally we were like, okay, we, ha we have to open a space. <laughs> And so we did it. And then, um, you know, it's Baltimore. So we became like sort of a carryout because carryout, Baltimore is carryout culture, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Baltimore City, mm -hmm. at least. And so we became like this plant-based food carryout um, where we have like, you know, vegan chicken and cheesesteak subs and you know, all the things that people love to eat, but, you know, healthier and, um, and made all from plants. So we do that. Um, we just recently um, reopened. We we had our grand reopening, um, and and we've expanded into a market. So we have like some market items, produce and things like that as well for the community and for anybody who comes out. So um, so people can even like sort of uh, plug in at the Greener Kitchen because it we're a mission based for profit business. Um, and so there's all kinds of ways to plug in at the Greener Kitchen. And then, um, you know, if people just have tons of money and they just want to throw it at me, I also have a Patreon <laughs> because I'm just ripping and running and, and doing all this work. And so um, that's a way that folks can like just kind of, just kind of support me in general um, with everything that I'm doing. Um, and that's just like patreon.com slash uh, Brenda Sanders. And so that's more of a general way to support me. So I'm all over the place. I'm doing all kinds of stuff, but there's lots of ways to plug in and be supportive. And if you didn't have time to write all that down, fear not, we will have all of those links in the show notes. So if you're on a mobile or on desktop, just scroll down beneath the episode and we'll have links to all of those things so you can get connected to Brenda to her work and to supporting her. Thanks. Shout out to the Greener Kitchen, my personal review, top Top three in Baltimore, I'd say, of, of vegan restaurants. Greener Kitchen, Land of Kush, My Mama's Vegan. Uh, <laughs> uh, Greener Kitchen has uh, the best vegan pizza and fried chicken, I think, anybody anybody in Baltimore. Uh, where is Thank it, Brenda? Where, where, would, where would we find the Greener Kitchen? Yes, so the Greener Kitchen is located in Pigtown, in the Pigtown community of Baltimore at 803 Washington Boulevard. So yeah, come on out to Pigtown. It's a, a nice little, little Main Street experience. Uh, we have a bookstore now, Charm City Books, and we have a couple of cafes and even a brewery right on Main Street. So it's a, actually a pretty cool place to hang out. 
Thank you again to Brenda for that wonderful conversation. And if you want to hear more conversations like that, we need your support. You can do that through rating and reviewing us wherever you're listening, uh, by subscribing, by sharing it with a friend, and by sending us your questions, your comments, uh, your ideas for future conversations. My email is billy, B-I-L-L-Y, at govanspres, G-O-V-A-N-S-P-R-E-S dot O-R-G. And if you love all that's happening at Govins and wanna, wanna not miss out on the in-person and online events, go to govinsprez.org or follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube. Uh, we wanna connect with you and we're excited about all that is happening here. And now let's go out into the world inspired by people like Brenda Sanders to do justice in the world, to look at how those predator-prey relationships might be upended, not just in the among the non-human animals, but among the human animals among us. Let's go out there and see beauty every time we open our eyes and hear truth every time we listen. Let's breathe every breath as a blessing and walk humbly upon the earth. And let's live in love for each other, for ourselves, and for our enemies. And so may we live in the presence of God. Amen.